You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. getting tired of us yet welcome back to a brand new episode of the native plants healthy planet podcast presented by pinelands nursery i am fran chismar and i'm tom knezik and, and fran i'm a little concerned why you think people are getting tired of us it's, that's... <laughs> you know since since we've gone back to our once a week format which we do for summers and we're planning mm-hmm. on doing for winters during so time slow time um I'm kind of running out of things to talk about. I'm that's not tr- hard to believe. <laughs> I, that's, gonna, did, I think did that's you, just not true. Did you <laughs> did you ever think you would hear me say I have nothing to talk about? No, I'm getting no, tired I, of. Hearing I think myself. you're getting lazy and <laughs> and don't want to have these conversations anymore. I am a little lazy. I'm guilty of that too. But I'm getting tired of hearing myself. Yeah. Well, you so, can always ask me about like what's going on in my life. There's only a oh, few big things that have happened. So. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess we could talk about you. <laughs> That would be that would be a change. Um, so how's how's fatherhood? It's two months now. Uh, just shy of two months. Two months. But yeah, I'm so glad you asked. It's, <laughs> no, it's, uh, Thank you for the prompt. I, I needed that. Understand all these all the things that everyone's been telling me forever, and that it's uh, it's terrible, but it's like the most rewarding thing you'll ever do. And um, and that's really how I feel. Is like if I if I start listing off all these things, I'm like, man, I'm really complaining a lot <laughs> about how. I, going to the bathroom and having to wake up all the times of the night and he's just crying all the time but i wouldn't change any of it it's awesome it it, it is awesome i i almost made a really bad analogy i almost said <laughs> it's like going to war and i was like you know what you've <laughs> one yeah. you've never been to war two it's nothing like going to war <laughs> like you <laughs> yeah. but it's it can be really stressful and it, it you can be sleep to prepare deprived mm-hmm. and uh lack of patience and it, it can be it can be stressful but all for good it's like like now that i've i've started watching the jordan documentary i relate everything yeah. to, <laughs> to the last dance so it's kind of like no it's all things you need to do to get through to get to that championship yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're bringing up a documentary that's what three months old three months yeah <laughs> but i'm just oh, getting around still to haven't it. talked about tiger king so <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we'll get we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> but uh, we can make that a whole episode. But. Yeah, I, I get what everyone's been saying, and it's just like it is incredibly stressful at times. And I give a lot of credit to my wife because I don't know how she gets anything done during the day. Because on like a Saturday or Sunday, I'll just say, "Hey, you go get whatever you need to do done, and and I'll stay here and watch the kids, and I'll get this list of things that I want to do done, and I might get one done if if any, and it's just like." Yeah. yeah, I give her a lot of credit. She's she's carrying a lot of weight. You know, I I, I give all the credit in the world to uh, my children's mother because she, you know, you take for granted. I traveled a lot during that mm-hmm. time. Like I was gone. Th- I traveled three to four months a year on business. Mm-hmm. Actually, after my first born was born, I I was on the road for two weeks. Two weeks after he was born. Wow. You know and. You know, you forget when you're at work that they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, because you get you get a break, you get to come to work. And I know it sounds funny, but work yeah. becomes oh, yeah. a break. It yep. really does. So yeah. it's you, you take that for granted because yeah, it's yeah, on those rough gonna... mornings when I like I'll bring them downstairs early and kind of hang out, watch a little bit of YouTube or, or those kind of things, and 
like just make sure he's okay yeah and then it's uh on the mornings when he's not great and he's crying a lot <laughs> and it's like 8 30 and i'm like, like okay time to time to go see mom <laughs> and i get to go and and he didn't nothing changed for him but all right i'm going yeah. to admit something that i've never admitted out loud all right you ready for this mm -hmm. Although there's people that know I've never admitted this out loud. So when I worked at Princeton Nurseries when my children were young, in the winter and you were salary, work started a half an hour later. So instead of having to be there at 7, you didn't have to be until <laughs> 7.30. <laughs> well, all of those years when the kids were young, I went to work at 7 o'clock and I took a half an hour and I would – like read the paper and have coffee <laughs> and and no one yeah. knew because no one was there yeah. and my boss came in one time he's like does your wife know that that you don't have to be here till 7 30 and i was just like nope <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a, i i i think i've grown as a father since yes. then i yeah, think I, that, I, would agree. <laughs> I think i can't believe I, you know what our guest was asking us if i've ever edited it a podcast for content yeah. and we said no this may be the first yeah. i mean <laughs> we have a couple days before we publish it i'm I mean, sure you're not the this. only one who's who's done that we've all so, been there yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of it i'm human it's yeah. but you know you look back at those sometimes and you're like man that was that was i feel bad about doing that how can i make amends for mm -hmm. that and i think i've i think i've made up for that yep. i hope i have at least i hope i have i think i have um have you gone back and and listened to any of our old episodes of this podcast not not on purpose i've had them pop up accidentally when i'm like getting my car and then just an old episode just kind of comes on but i haven't on gone and listened to one on purpose you know i uh i was going to put a trailer together and i went back i was trying to find clips and i was listening yeah i can't listen to them <laughs> like listen to like the first like two like because we were doing we were going to do video yeah, at that yeah, point yeah, the format right. was a little uh -huh. different Man, I I was like, ooh, yeah, I'm I'm happy with these. Yeah, we've really grown yeah. a lot. <laughs> so, what else is new? What else is going on? You got anything? Well, this is more something bigger that's going on, not just with me, but a lot of people in our area. And that's if you listen to some of our first episodes, you hear a lot about the spotter and lantern fly, and there is a lot of spotter and lantern fly sightings happening recently. So I, I had my first. This past weekend at my fiance's house, I walked onto the back deck and there was one on the side of her house and, and we killed it. And I did a, a like a search throughout mm -hmm. the yard to see if I could come up with any more. And it's, you know, I couldn't find any more, but you know where there's one, there's there's plenty yeah. more. And yep. it's it's just hitting adult season now. Um, so it's only going to get worse, I think. Uh, we're just starting to see it, I think, in, in coming days and months it's going to be a bigger issue yeah so. yeah it's um i know we've like you saw one we've heard of them being seen quite a bit more i've seen some pictures from not too far away where there's there's quite a bit and um i think it's only a matter of time before we start seeing a lot more the important thing is if you do see them make sure that you if you can try and capture them and get a picture report it to the usda uh that just helps them out knowing where where these um the spotted lanternfly are is and and is going and they can kind of they need as much help as they can get trying to get yeah. ahead of it so yes but um yeah so like we were saying just report those sightings and uh and contact your county extension agents as well we need to stay ahead of this it's it's only going to get worse yes it is. unless we kind of like with covid you gotta you gotta 
follow the signs and make sure we're doing taking all the right steps to, to take, stay as on top of it as we possibly take can be. all the precautions. I think with COVID, this has kind of taken a back seat because there were more pressing yeah. issues. Yeah. But now that it's adult season and people are starting to spot them, I think we're going to realize it's a much bigger I think we kind of forgot about yes. it. It's, yeah. it's going to turn up to be a much bigger problem this year than it was last year. Yeah. I think. Uh, and I'm actually going to, where we are is kind of on the, the forefront of it, the edge of their range right now. Yeah. But, uh, Kathy, you probably have a bigger problem with spotting lanternfly than we do, I would imagine. Yes. If if you're on the um, forefront, we definitely have a bigger problem than, than you right now. <laughs> we are in the middle of it. So we, uh, there's lots of them. Yes. Worse this year than last year already? Are, are you seeing a huge difference? Um, not so far. Um, it's about the same as last year right now. But like you said, they're just starting to... Uh, was not last week, but the week before was when we first started seeing the adults. And so um, we'll have a better idea. But we also participated in a um, USDA trial for trapping and for uh, treatment of Tree of Heaven. And so hopefully that helped out some. I, I think people forget how how invasive Tree of Heaven is. And I, I can't go anywhere around here without seeing Tree of Heaven, to be yeah. honest. It's, it's that big of an issue, and that's another issue that really – you know, people know it's invasive, but I don't know that it was actively – like this proactively trying to get rid of it now. Mm-hmm. It's, this The spot at Lanternfly is almost like a blessing in disguise because it's helping us fix other mm-hmm. problems because of it. That's yeah. true. Yeah, it's. I think it's uh, It's nice to see some of that getting t- – actually, it's bringing invasives to – in general mm-hmm. to the forefront, I think, and people are – between that and the mystery seeds, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. being mailed, out, you, you didn't get any mail to you, did you? No, 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 right, no, no, nothing, nothing that we didn't order. No uh, weird uh, seeds that we didn't order uh, <laughs> came to us so far. Good, good. Yeah, we, that we, should have been another PSA. We that is, oh, don't yeah. plant the mystery seeds. Don't That's plant. <laughs> yes, yes. Although I did see, you know, the funny thing is, after that came out, I started Google searching, and this has been a problem for years. Mm-hmm. Like. I found like Reddit threads going back four to five years with people saying that they've been getting seeds and they identified a lot of them like, hey, this is wisteria. This is this. Um, And people are like, oh, I'm just going to plant it and see what Mm -hmm. happens. You know, and now it's funny how times have changed that now it's making national news Mm -hmm. like, hey, these strange seeds are just showing up on people's mailboxes so don't it plant them bizarre. Yeah. It, it really it, it, <laughs> <It's> so strange. <laughs> it, you know and it's not like hey uh i just got mail someone mailed me money money's showing up in my mailbox how awesome is this yeah. it's just strange it's seeds. the nigerian prince he's, <laughs> he's mailing you money <laughs> and what, what do you think is it is it because that we're connected to the environment or we think about natives or ecology or plant communities that even though we're horticulturists, gardeners, you know, that we would think twice about planting them, but so many other people are like, hey, let's see what these grow into. Yeah, I don't know if, if I think we're a little more in tune, especially we're dealing with natives and and, and a package shows up saying it's from China and it's seeds. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a huge red flag to us, but not everyone, you know, yeah. you have people that are just plant lovers like, oh, seeds, maybe it's mm-hmm. vegetables, maybe it's I'll plant these yeah. and see and, what I can. And I think we always talk about education. I just think people don't know that invasives 
are an issue. Um, I think like, we obviously do. And once you get outside like the, the native plant circles and especially outside the gardening circles, people were just completely blind. We talked about tree of heaven before. And even when I was younger, before I really knew what it was, you'd be driving down the road and you're like, oh, there's the, the hedgerow along the highway or that tree line. Well, a lot of times that there's a ton of tree of heaven and, or all sorts of invasives in there. And I would venture to say it's like 95 out of 100 people driving by have no clue that's the case. It might even be more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And my, my fiance loves wisteria. Yeah. Loves wisteria. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, <laughs> She's like, can we have wisteria? And I'm like, uh, can we have this conversation another time? <laughs> Just keep and trying that's to. that's the hard part. It, it is. Because um, they're for sale. Right? You can go and yeah. buy them. Yep. So yeah. why can't I have one? And yeah, that's the hard part at the Arboretum, too. And, and you see them, and they're beautiful. You can't mm-hmm. deny when they're in bloom how beautiful they are. It's 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 a great thing to see, and it's hard to explain to someone that that beautiful thing that's a plant is not a good thing, uh, at least not here. Mm. And that's, that's hard to convince people that. It's not – as easy as it would think. Sometimes it's it's more emotional than it is scientific, and it's, I, you know, we we have this conversation all the time. How do you overcome that? I don't know. Education, I guess, is the, mm-hmm. the best thing you can do, but it's, um, you, you're not going to convince everyone. You're just I think um, one of the the um, challenges also is in this globalized economy that we have, and so I had a, a colleague who was talking about invasive plants or complaining about a plant to her neighbor over the fence and her neighbor is from Japan. And so she had to really think about how she described the problem with this plant that Mm. was an invasive from Japan um, to a person who is here from Japan. And so I think that that's a big part of the conversation that is missing also is an understanding of the context of how it got here. Um, you know, that people did it and, um, that we can undo it. And, and the, the, the talk about plant communities and ecology instead of just like so many times when I was involved with the native plant society of New Jersey, it was, you know, these plants are evil, you Mm -hmm. know, they're bad plants. And I think that that is, problematic that mm-hmm. conversation yeah that doesn't help you know that turns no. people that's that's not getting someone to listen mm-hmm. when you start off a conversation yeah. that way um you know and it, it very similar my fiance is from europe and and a lot of the plants in her yard it's like oh we had these in poland you know like mm-hmm. this this reminds me of of where i grew up or things like that and how do you tell someone that's sentimental about that that it's bad mm-hmm. um you know, it's it's hard. It's a hard conversation mm-hmm. to have. There there has to be some kind of balance. Strike some mm-hmm. kind of balance, and I, I even have trouble finding that balance. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, you know, because of what we do, yeah, we want to be a hundred percent native. I I fully support that. But is it feasible and is it possible? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> and there's yeah. some people that are are very emotional that will take that argument. Uh, to the grave mm-hmm. that yeah mm-hmm. you need to be and and some that are the exact opposite way i don't know what that middle ground mm-hmm. is but we really haven't flirted with like yeah, we, we, the, the ethics of it maybe <laughs> one episode we should have someone come on that's pro pro varieties and pro species and pro it wouldn't be mm-hmm. hard to find someone no that's... it wouldn't but that would be an interesting <laughs> yeah. like round table mm-hmm. 
that would be good. Yeah. Kathy, you want to you want to come on for that one? You want to be part sure. of that round? Sure. Yes. Right. I would love to be a part of that. Well, that, w- that we, would be We great. get that question all the time at the Arboretum um, because uh, we our landscape architecture and horticulture program uh, does have a focus on sustainability and designing with native plants. And a lot of our gardens are, are native plant heavy, but we are not um, exclusively native plants. Mm-hmm. And um, we feel strongly that our students are we're preparing students to go out into careers in horticulture and not all of them are going to be working for native plant only companies. And so we need them to, to know other plants that they'll encounter in specs and in garden centers and get delivered to them. And if they're interested in restoration ecology, we, we think it's important for them to learn the invasives Mm -hmm. as much as the natives. So, so we, we struggle with that all the time. Um, You know, what do we keep so that we can teach it and um you know what are the what are the policy we, you know, we're working on collections policy and we're really thinking a lot and looking at what other gardens are doing about addressing the invasive plant issue and and also acknowledging that a lot of invasives are here thanks to public horticulture and plant mm-hmm. exploration and you know we have to acknowledge that yeah, role it, too and you know even we're dealing strictly restoration we see specs come across all the time where every plant is a variety mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. it will be all straight species. And then all of a sudden they'll throw in Panicum Virgatum, Shenandoah, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just like, why, like, what's the reasoning for throwing yeah. in that one? And, and selection? really that's one of the reasons we started doing this Yeah, and, uh, and started doing the YouTube series that we kind of dropped the ball on and I started <laughs> picking back up yesterday, <laughs> but it was, it was, uh, it's one of the most rewarding things was, um, we had a YouTube video that was about the difference between a straight species and a, a variety and what, what is the actual difference between them. And, uh, and I had a landscape architect, excuse me, it was a, um, a contractor actually called me up and said, Hey, I got emailed your video and I thought it was really good, but I can't find it anymore. <laughs> so can you send me the link? So I, cause I want to send it to this landscape architect because they're putting in all the, all these varieties and I don't, think we should and um and that was like a big that's why we're doing this yeah kind of moment so it was really cool it's perfect so we should probably ask kathy yeah i was gonna say before we go (laughs) go too much further (laughs) kathy we should probably i I first met you through new jersey native plant society which you brought up before and you were the president of that for uh many years and and really um on the accounts of my my dad and Bob Swain and Bill Young and some other people who were really involved in that organization, you had that organization. You took it from a fledging and really had it take flight and and go to the not just the next level but multiple levels beyond where it had been. Um, and then you you moved on and now you're in a new role for the last couple of years. So I guess uh, I'll let you introduce <laughs> who you are <laughs> and and how you got where you are now and wh- what what really led to there. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, well, I'm Kathy Salisbury, and I'm currently the director of the Ambler Arboretum of Temple University. And at Temple, I also teach the Woody Plant Identification course uh, uh, each semester for the landscape architecture and horticulture students. And, um, yeah, Tom, I met you through the Native Plant Society of New Jersey. And, Fran, I probably met you years and years ago. Um, I worked at Greater Newark Conservancy in Newark, New Jersey, yes. um, doing... Uh, school gardening, community gardening, and building a one and a half acre teaching garden in the middle of Newark. And um, we uh, focused on 
natives in those cases too. And, um, and so, so I've known you for both for a long time, it, it seems. It's been <laughs> so, a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, being involved with the Native Plant Society was eye-opening to me because I went to school for ornamental horticulture that at Delaware Valley. It was college then. Now it's university. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went first for ornamental horticulture and floral crop production. So raising poinsettias and mums and, you know, um, plants strictly as ornament and never really thought about plants uh, in sort of a plant community context or an ecological context or native and didn't really think about native plants at all. And, um, it was getting involved with the native plant society. I wanted to learn more that, um, that really opened my eyes to not only the plants themselves, but the community of people Mm -hmm. around that are, um, so passionate about it and so willing to teach you, um, about the issues and to involve you in, um, decision-making and, um, projects. And so that was, it was really inspiring to me and I was really lucky to be a, a part of all of that. So it is like a um, cult. It is. <laughs> it is cult-like. And, and so my, so I think, so you mentioned about my role at the native plant society. So one thing that really struck me when I got involved with that was, um, how black and white it seemed like people were either these plants are evil uh, or just you all can only plant native plants, and if you're not just planting native plants, you. Oh, sorry. No, that's <laughs> that you, <laughs> hey, hey, we, Our phones rang too many times. Listen, <laughs> the fine. only reason our phone is Which even unplugged. No, it's unplugged. Oh, you did it. The only reason it's unplugged is because we were in this room doing a Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah. And yes. before this, and the phone started ringing. So, so it's unplugged I, now. I think my phone can ring, not ring for three days. And then once I'm doing something like this, then it's <laughs> some spam call. Um, but I, I uh, so it, when I got involved with the Native Plant Society, there was a lot of sort of it's black and white. You're either this or you're not with us. And um, I think what I tried to do is find those gray areas where we could involve other people, find our common grounds and work towards expanding the choir because if you're just so black and white about everything, mm-hmm. you're really just always preaching to your choir and you're never really yeah. getting beyond and, that. And, and I think, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, that's one of the things that I hated about those discussions is they were so black and white. And while I personally um, am like a hundred percent native when I plant stuff, I'm very uh, hesitant to plant things that aren't native, even though my wife will ask me to sometimes, but it's, you can't be excluded. Ex- you can't exclude other people just because they don't conform. You need to get as many people on this train as possible or it's never going to grow and right. slowly bring them along to your side from where mm-hmm. they are. You can't just say, oh, you're not doing this, so you're not allowed. But I, And I think people forget sometimes you didn't make the decision to go 100% native overnight. It wasn't like someone oh, yeah. flicked a switch yeah. and you're just like, all right, I'm doing this now. I'm all in. Yeah. There's an evolution to it and you can't expect people to skip that evolution mm-hmm. um yep. you have to you have to give them you have to win them you have to win them yeah, yeah. exactly um, you have to make it appealing to them and what they actually like because they might not care about pollinators or they might not care mm-hmm. about birds so you can't go to them and say oh native plants are so great because like you're you're killing so many birds because you're planting all these non-native stuff and you're not providing the habitat 
Well, they don't care about birds. You're not going to change their mind. No, that you right. can it's, get. Oh, they're going to the bathroom in my car, yeah. and I'm constantly yeah. cleaning, and I don't want birds. Yeah. They're so loud in the morning. Yeah. It's, they wake me up. Yeah, you have to <laughs> appeal to what is intriguing to them, and it might be something completely different. And that's how you get them yep. on board. It's not by saying exactly you're an idiot. You're you're not right. creating habitat. You need to. That doesn't work. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's funny because I was going to ask you with your background with the Native Plant Society and Native Plants, what influence did you have on the Arboretum? Because when I think of an Arboretum, I don't think of Native Plants. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. So, But it, it sounds like you're trying to blend that, blur that line a little bit. Yeah, we are. We um one of the goals of the Arboretum is to be a model. We're an outdoor classroom and we want to be a teaching space and we are a teaching space for our courses, but we're also a community resource. We're free and open to the public all the time. And we want people to come in and and visit and become inspired. And because we have that responsibility or that mission, we want to make sure we're doing that responsibly. And so we have to think a lot about um, the plants that we have on display. And so we do, like, like I said, we do have some some gardens that serve a dual purpose as stormwater management tools and uh, uh, retention, uh, bioretention swales and that kind of thing. And, and we do focus on native plants and we have um, a hierarchy of decision-making um, and is it native and does it support our ecosystem or our plant community is, is definitely a part of the decision-making process or you know, what are we trying to do with this plant? And is there a native plant that will accomplish that same thing? And if there is, then, you know, we lean towards that. But but we do have collections and we want to have re- representative collections of different types of plants. And so, you know, we have conifer garden. And so n- many of those aren't native. Mm-hmm. Um, but But we also educate about understanding how this plant behaves and understanding that these plants have an impact on an area far greater than your backyard or this botanical garden. And so people need to, to be informed when they're making their decisions. You know, they need to do some research before they just decide to, to plop a plant in a place that, that that's the responsible thing to do. And, and if you like this plant, you know, what is it about it that you like? And is there a native plant that can accomplish that mm-hmm. for you? And, and if there isn't, at the very least, what does this do? In the environment, and, yeah. and, and change is difficult because you're you're talking about an entity that people already love, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And and a great example is when we had Duke Farms on mm-hmm. because what Duke Farms was and what Duke Farms is now are two completely different things. So that's a difficult step to take, especially when you have people that are already passionate and in, in love mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. So, given that and, and the direction that you're headed with it. How do you think the Arboretum will evolve, say, 10 years from now? If someone were to step in the Arboretum, we have a time machine, and it's mm-hmm. it's now 2030, and you're stepping in the Arboretum. What do you what do you see as change, given Good what question. we're just talking about? I, I hope that, um, that we will have um, eliminated the I – have, I have this dream of sculptures – of um, botanically accurate sculptures of invasive plants (laughs) 
instead of the invasive plants themselves. <laughs> so we can still teach about them, but <laughs> but I, they're not causing problems. I like that. So. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. It could be the the invasives, uh, like a silk collection almost, maybe a sculpture. Or a... <laughs> Some, yeah, something like that. You know, it shows the seeds and the leaves as opposite or alternate or whatever that you can still learn about it. Um, and that that we are that because we do have an aging collection a lot of our trees are old this garden has been there for more than 100 years and that as we have to plan for succession of plants that we are focused more on the ecology and um enhancing where we are rather than um to having a certain number of different types of plants or um you know a representative selection of all the different genera out there or something like that i would much rather um pay more attention to to our ecology and 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 as as we do that you know inspire our community to do the same and and you mentioned the that the garden's been there for 100 years can you go into a little bit of the history of the garden and and what brought it about in the first place and where it's been already Sure. The, um, so what is now Temple Ambler, uh, it's the Ambler campus of Temple University. It's a, it's a satellite campus and it's about 187 acres. And um, um, about 87 of that back in 1911 was purchased by a woman named Jane Bound Haynes. And she had a goal to start the Pennsylvania School of Horticulture for Women. She had learned about these schools um, of teaching women specifically a vocation in Europe. And so she had this ambition to start a school like that here in the United States. There was one that was started around the same time up in Massachusetts as well. But um, so we were one of only two in the country. And so um, so that's how this started was as the Pennsylvania School of Horticulture for Women in 1911. And so they had, uh, I think, four graduates the first year. And um, so this was uh, the 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 school was founded with the idea that students learn by doing. So they would learn in a classroom and then they would go out onto the grounds and put what they learned in theory into practice. And that is what it it had to be. And so these, the grounds that are now the the Arboretum were always hands-on, a place for hands-on education, experiential learning. And that continues today. Um, and, and so even to the point where they had a greenhouse complex and they wanted to build a, they needed a head house for their greenhouse complex. So the women in the school built the head house and the cold frames and everything they needed, they built it. Wow. And, um, it's just great. I have this one picture that I just love. It's from the 1920s and the women's uniform was this long wool skirt and this long sleeve cotton shirt and they're out in a field. And they're getting a demonstration in how to break up the subsoil because the whole area used to be agriculture. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's how to break up the subsoil using dynamite. And so <laughs> there's just soil flying all around them. And like the, the person's like tie is blowing and, and it's just it's incredible. But it, it just shows like how practical this was and how I mean, at the time, that was modern technology. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Um, so that's what it's always been is this place to to put uh, theory into practice. And so what I love about that is that we've we're never we've never been a museum to the gardens that were designed there or planned there. It was always meant to show the latest techniques, the newest trends, the um, newest color combinations, you know, whatever it is that that is that is part of 
the purpose of, of the Arboretum. Mm-hmm. So, so it's nice to have that as the, the, the background. The fact that it was also designed originally as a school of horticulture for women is also, I think, important in the, in the history of horticulture, especially in the Phil- Philadelphia region. Yeah, that's very progressive um, for the time. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and the Arboretum is still very progressive to this day. I love that it's, you know, from what you're explaining is not what I would traditionally think of as an Arboretum. I think that um, we benefit a lot from having students mm-hmm. because um, they, the students, and this is what I love about teaching and love about having being part of an arboretum at a college campus is that they are always challenging you to be better, to be more aware, to be responsive. Um, you know, as soon as my, as students as soon as students see the spotted lantern fly, they're like, I get an email say, "Hey, Kathy, what are you doing about this?" You know, um, and so it's it's always a challenge but in the in the very best way because it means that we are being responsive and um and the students feel empowered to ask those things and know that um they can make change and that it is their place too Mm. and so i think that that sets us apart in a lot of ways from some more traditional uh public gardens and and the answer to this may be no but is there any significant change that you can think of that was brought at the arboretum that was brought about by the students that's a good I'm I've only been there for three years okay. um, so I'm not sure but I will say that um, our junior landscape design build studio mm-hmm. uh, creates the flower show exhibit every year mm-hmm. oh, and okay. two of our gardens that are permanent gardens now were designed by them mm. oh, that's and awesome. and so they can come back forever and see these gardens in place and uh, both of those are the our they are both our stormwater management gardens. And so um, even so many years apart, it reflects the importance that, that our curriculum places on sustainability and using plants to solve problems. And so in that way, they've had quite a bit of influence. But if there's been drastic changes or something implemented because of students, I'm not sure. I, I love the, the blend of legacy and progression that there's there's a strong foundation but it seems like the arboretum keeps moving mm-hmm. forward you know and, and when i think of that you have to be to be adaptable like 30 years ago if if you would have told me that longwood gardens was going to have a meadow yeah i'd been like nah, yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> you know but there it is and it's and it's a yep. big draw to, to longwood Gardens. so um i like that there's a very strong foundation and core values very strong core values but you keep moving forward and you keep progressing um because it could quite easily just try to stand on its laurels and just say, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. You can come yeah. or not, you know. Yeah. Now, yeah. now Kathy, you mentioned – I think I cut you off before you were actually going to answer this earlier. You mentioned you'd only been there for three years. What brought you to the Arboretum? Um, well, I, I um, have always – I've spent my career – in places where I could work to connect people to plants. And so I started out in Newark, New Jersey. I have my degree from the Longwood Graduate Program in Public Horticulture mm-hmm. Administration oh. and um, and have, have all these jobs, but not at public gardens, but related to public horticulture. So whether I was a horticulturist for a municipal park system, which I was in a couple of places, um, or working for um, uh, schools, uh, I've taught 
high school Votech. And for anybody who teaches high school Votech, more power to you. <laughs> I could only do it for the 10 months <laughs> one time. That was it. Um, I was not successful in that role, but it was still connecting or trying very yeah. hard to connect people with plants. And so I, my path has always sort of led that way. And so, um, and I worked as an extension educator. You mentioned, you know, to report the spotted lanternfly to the county extension. Mm -hmm. So I worked as that also. And so this seemed, um, this position at the Arboretum seemed a natural culmination of all these other experiences I've had in public horticulture and connecting people to plants because it gave me the opportunity to still teach. It gave me the opportunity to make decisions about design and implementation um, and to help put in new spaces. And um, it just, that's, that's, uh, it just seemed like a great match. Plus it's history as the the School of Horticulture for Women was was really appealing too, and and um, Fran, you had asked about you know where do I see in twenty years? Yeah. In the, in the in the time that I've been here, one thing I've noticed, I've tried to find our stories. I've been trying. I've raised money to do interpretive signage. We don't have any signage around the gardens oh. telling you our, our history or anything, and so I've been working on that. And so I've been wanting to find our stories. And one of the things that I've been that I have not been able to find and that I hope in 20 years that we will do a better job of is I have not been able to find the stories of people of color of diverse audiences of diverse participation and influence in our space and I really think that that is missing I don't and not because it didn't happen but because we didn't record it or didn't tell it and mm -hmm. so I hope that in 20 years that not only will we be telling those stories that will be acknowledging the contributions of all people in this space, but that all people will be comfortable visiting us, that, that we will have a more diverse audience in our programs, in our membership, in our um, speakers, in our leadership on our board. You know, I, I think that, that, that we focus so much on the diversity of our plants and don't really think about or haven't thought as much about the diversity of of our people. And so I hope in, 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 um, 20 years that, that we will be thinking and reflect just as much the diversity of you, our people. You bring up a really good point because it's really quite easy to get lost in the plants or, mm -hmm. or your personal interpretation of the plants. But in a public space like that, it's really the public, which is diverse. Mm -hmm. Who's going to enjoy that? Who are you trying to pull yeah. in? Um, hopefully it's not just past stories that, that are um, brought up, but future stories too. Yeah, and uh, it's something that we discussed um, tackling through this podcast as yeah. well. Is you go to all the the horticultural trade shows and you go to meetings and you don't see very many people of color. And I don't think it's because there's a lack of interest. Um, there might be a lack of guidance, but and we've been talking diverse, about having. Yeah having um some of these groups there's a, a uh, i'm gonna blank on the name of it now there's a, a program that was down in maryland called i think um bringing nature black I've, i might be screwing up the name there and uh and it was all about uh black horticulture and promoting that and there's another group i just found out about a couple weeks ago that i think is called I don't remember the name. It's like Afro Black. I'll, I'll have to look it up and I'll, I'll yeah. figure it out. But it's another thing. It's just throughout all, um, really all of nature and nature careers, you find a lack of diversity. And like I said, I don't think it's because of the interest 
we've talked about having an episode all revolving around that um, mm-hmm. for a while. And we kind of said, you know what, with in light of things that are happening right now, we don't want to look like we're taking advantage of that. Of that. But it's, it's something we talk about 30, yeah. year, th- 30 years ago when I started in the industry. You could go to a trade show and you could count the number of women mm-hmm. uh, attending that trade show on one hand uh, unless that were actually in the – in the industry, you know, not yeah. including wives, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's changed. It's greatly changed. And it's nice to see, uh, especially how it was at that time compared to now. So we're hoping that, hoping that in the near future, we can have one of these organizations on to, to have those yeah. discussions. And I don't think that you would, it would be um, unreasonable to sort of capitalize on the momentum of the mm-hmm. movement right now. And you would probably be raising awareness to an audience yeah. that might not know about it. So I think that it's a great time mm-hmm. to do it. I think the organization I, I just heard about was is called Outdoor Afro. So I really did yes. goof up that. <laughs> Outdoor Afro, and it's actually a national organization. And I'd mm-hmm. actually heard an interview with the president or lead coordinator of it. But they have branches out in San Francisco and Seattle, and even like Newark and New York City and Philadelphia. There's branches here and. Um, we should probably reach out to one of them to have them on because it's all about uh, their slogan on the the front of their website is where black people nature meet. And um, it's from hearing the interview with them, it was okay. We have, they wanted to get more people of color out into nature. A lot of what was holding them back is they didn't know where to go or they didn't want to be the only ones there. So you Mm -hmm. actually have like a guide system that was bringing people who otherwise probably would not go uh, out into nature. And they're, kayaking on the Hackensack River and and going on hikes and doing all kinds of really cool stuff that I like to do as well. That we take so, for granted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We take, yeah. All right. So let's make that a resolution. Let's, yeah. Let's, <laughs> hopefully we get someone from that organization to, to come on our podcast. Yeah. I would love that. I would love that. I think... I think also in the in the next twenty years, I think it would be great if us botanical gardens and and I know you know the, the the Ambler Arboretum is not doing a great job of this now, but we are working towards this now. Um, is acknowledging also the where systemic racism is in our organizations, but also how we've contributed to the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, we have plants with labels that are you know those labels those names are colonized names you know somebody mm-hmm. came over here and decided this will be the name of this plant even though indigenous populations had already had names for those plants mm-hmm. you know so so i think that we can also do a great job of acknowledging that and educating about it recognizing the the um contributions and the foundation that so many um people of color indigenous persons have have done for us mm-hmm. and so you know i i hope that in the 20 years that our garden will reflect that better as well i love that idea mm-hmm. I, yeah you know it's yeah. funny because one of the questions i had wanted to ask you was with your background and coming to the arboretum what what are you bringing to the arboretum that's that's making a difference but you you've i think you've answered that question unless there's yeah. things oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in numerous ways um <laughs> you know not saying like what legacy will you leave when when you're not there but are there are there other things that that your perspective of your background and where you've come to get there that you're seeing make a difference at the Arboretum today? I, um, I think that I, I've been, I'm really lucky in that my boss uh, allows us to try new things and is okay with failure. 
And so that allows us to try um, programs that maybe are not for our typical audiences or um, outside of what we would normally highlight or have used the gardens for in the past. And so I think um, her willingness to let me do that and my willingness to take the leap, I think, is um, allowing us to do new and different things at the Arboretum. I also, um, as I've gone through my career, have become less afraid of uncomfortable conversations. And so um, I think hopefully that will help also to continue a momentum of raising awareness about what, what else public gardens can do, you know, besides talking about plants and teaching plants and being a beautiful place to, to visit and doing the research and maintaining genetic diversity and all of that, that botanical gardens already do, you know, what else can we do to, to make this world better? And, um, so hopefully I can, I can help with that too. <laughs> I, I would like to say as well that I feel very fortunate that I have employers that are okay with failure. <laughs> You're okay with failure, right, Tom? Uh, for the most part, but I'm not uh, your employer. Oh, that's, 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 that's true. I, at least I think they are. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So you did mention earlier that uh, the gardens are free gardens, public uh, public mm -hmm. arboretum. But you can be a member, correct? You can. Yes, we oh. have uh, memberships, and so you can become a member online. Uh, you can find us at um, arboretum.temple.edu, and you can find membership there. There's different levels, and uh, being a member. It is a way to support the Arboretum. We are free all the time, and so we can't offer free admission or anything like that to members, but we do offer discounted programs and advance notice, and um, and really you're just supporting a great organization. So, so yeah, we have that, and then we have other ways to support, too. And, and you, uh, have, you, you have some great programs. Mm -hmm. You have some really great programs. And we, Thank we, you. we would really like to talk about some of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, tell us more about Hort Camp. Oh, so this is la last year I had this bright idea. Uh, we offer summer camps, not the Arboretum, but the, the university at the Ambler campus offers summer camps and they're educational camps. And um, they're, they're usually week long and they're all day. And so I asked if we could try this horticulture careers exploration summer camp. Nothing sounds more fun than that, right? <laughs> so I was like, and I was like, can we just try it? And I said we could, and and so we did. They let me try it, and we didn't even change the name, um, and we got registrants, and it was great. And uh, so we had botanical illustrator teach them about perspective and drawing plants. We had landscape architects. We had a beekeeper we have an arborist they held a chainsaw without a chain on it um they learned how to throw climbing ropes they uh helped pull weeds <laughs> like uh with with uh, the horticulture staff at the arboretum and uh, so each day they focus on a couple of different career options and the whole point was to raise awareness about the green industry or horticulture careers because they're not talked about a lot by counselors in schools mm -hmm. Um, of course, Seed Your Future is out there that is trying to raise awareness among middle schoolers of horticulture careers. But um, I just wanted an opportunity to show the diversity of the offerings and how fun it could be and that you could be outside and you're always active. And it went really well. And so we were going to do it again this year, but um, 
an online version is just not the same. (laughs) No, that you you want that to be hands on. I think that's that's where you win a lot Mm -hmm. of people over. Yeah, and that's you think about the if they're gonna go into that career, it a lot of those jobs are very hands on. I know. Yeah. We did a for that we did a virtual tour of our seed fields and I I would have been an okay tour guide but I thought my brother and and Lydia would be <laughs> really really good tour guides um just cuz my brother really knows the insects and he's a natural ham with the camera so yeah. he's, he's good he at is. like getting really close to all the insects and catch and stuff he probably tried to sting himself once or twice and he's really good oh. and comfortable with that too yeah. yeah yeah it was so good the, the kids love that and that's so when we couldn't go someplace to visit the campers and i went on a virtual tour and one of them was the seed fields at pinelands which was amazing because they are in full bloom and it just was incredible to see all those flowers in one place and that we could interact live with the tour guide and ask questions um, it was just great. And so we mixed those kinds of experiences with hands-on in the garden, kind of help. They did propagation. They planted coleus in, that they cut into our aquaponics lab. And um, and then and then we also visited virtually a zoo horticulturist and watched them as they fed forsythia to giraffe. You know, so it was just it was just a wide range just to show all of these different things that, that kids could do. Because mm-hmm. so many kids that I talked to or so many students in school that I talked to, they they're either changing their major because they just found out about it because they were at Temple, or they didn't even find out about it until much later yeah. in in trying to figure out what they want to do for a living. You know, and, and there's definitely a shift. When when I started at the nursery 13 years ago, we the, the, the local high school is literally a mile down the road from us, and we would take on work-study students. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my first year here, we had like 13 work-study students. Like it was an wow. unreal number. Hmm. We mm-hmm. don't we don't get work study students anymore. Mm-hmm. We we're wow. we're really happy if we get one, um, yeah. and it just doesn't happen. You know, a couple of years ago we had two, and we're like, wow, maybe it's going to make a comeback, and it really doesn't. It just seems. And Tom and I have, have talked about this and and talked about how we can encourage this. Actually, it's we're missing a generation um, mm-hmm. of kids that didn't go to college. I, you know, I'm I'm not saying college is a bad thing, but college. College is a great thing, but it's not for everyone. Not everyone's mm-hmm. going right. to take that path. I, myself being one of them, I didn't go to college. I, I started at a nursery right out of high school, and that wasn't uncommon at the time that I did it. It's very uncommon now, mm-hmm. um, and and we want to encourage that. You know, it's 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 made a very good living living for myself and a lot of other people I know. And yeah. I think what's lost on with a lot of people, especially in this field with a college experience, is it's spent it's a career that's really not spent in like 99% indoors. You're even for Fran and myself where we're primarily in the office, we're going outside and seeing stuff and we're doing site visits. We're, we're outside quite a bit. And for that kind of career, you need to have that outside hands-on learning, which is one of the great things that where I went to school at SUNY Cobleskill and where you went to school, Kathy at Delval, that's where they really excel is I remember my classes. Oh, I gotta have an hour-long uh, lecture about. Um, it's a hydroponics class. You learn, okay, this is all the nutrient ratios, and you gotta add all this stuff, and you need this kind of lights, and then you'd actually go and do it. And it almost seemed like free labor at the time because we were just putting together <laughs> all these hydroponic systems for for this hydroponic class. But then a month later, I think it was like 25 days later, we grew our own lettuce or we grew our own microgreens, mm-hmm. and we're selling it to the school cafeteria. And I actually, so I learned the science behind it, but I also did it and. 
I wasn't stuck if I needed to go and do it later in life. One of the things I loved that I found out online was one of our previous guests, Dr. Jay Allen, mm-hmm. when we were looking up the information to post the link about his research online, the, the site came up with uh, student reviews, and he's at Raritan Valley Community College. Mm-hmm. favorably high reviews and some of them like started out what you think was going to be a bad review but it they were great reviews it's like you know what we do a lot of field trips and they're on evenings and they're on weekends and they're mandatory but i learned so much and they were so important and mm-hmm. i'm glad that he made us do that you know and yep. it was i think a lot of that gets lost sometimes yeah i, I yeah. wouldn't have the knowledge i have now to do my job if it wasn't for all the years with the hands-on knowledge mm-hmm. outside which it sounds like you guys are doing it Temple Ambler as well, especially getting out in the Arboretum and and having them do, do like landscape design and actually see those designs come to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. And we and we partner with um, we we have a campus um, uh, society for ecological restoration chapter. Mm-hmm. We have a campus ASLA chapter, and so we partner up with them too, and they can take on projects. So it really is their classroom and they'll work with advisors or work with me and, and, um, you know, can really work to make change. They come up with ideas, you know, of ways that they want to be better stewards of the campus or have the campus in a better shape after they've left. Mm -hmm. And so we work with them on it. And so we do definitely offer that hands on. And I agree that, um, that having that is, is essential to understanding sort of the rewards of this career and, uh, text tech schools i've you know the career and technical schools that have horticulture programs i think um can be sources for some great students who don't have ambitions to go to college but are just wonderful and have so much to learn and so much willingness to learn that i think that they you know they could do so much and it's unfortunate that so many programs are being closed or Mm -hmm. reduced because of a lack of interest and i think the lack of interest is just like like you said at the beginning, Tom, about education and just not even knowing that these are careers. There's so many assumptions about landscapers and that's all that yeah. this can be. And yeah. and it's it and that's great, but there's so much more too. One of the things that's very satisfying for me is my youngest son who is currently working at the nursery, um, originally wanted to work here. He started working here last year just because he wanted to make money and he knew that I could probably get him a job here. That was his main motivation. <laughs> that was his main motivation. I love seeing how much he loves his job. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's really won him over and had he not had that opportunity, he would have never have discovered that love for doing this kind yeah. of work. And I think, um, I think the other th- mission that I have is to raise awareness among the school counselors. Mm-hmm. So I know when I was thinking about going into horticulture, because I was the one daughter who really liked to be outside and help pull weeds and all of that stuff with my mom. Um, my mom said, you can't go to school for this, you know, and then we looked through it. The, <laughs> back then it was this giant catalog of um, colleges, yeah. um, not the Internet. And so it's like, oh, you can go to school for this. And my guidance counselor, you know, talked me out of being an FFA or going to tech school for horticulture because I was in honors. And, and then he said, you shouldn't go to Del Val because you're in honors classes. And I'm just like, wow. why are you talking about this thing that I love to do? Mm-hmm. And, and when I sit around with some advisory groups, sometimes it's not an unusual experience to try and be talked yeah. out of doing this for a living. And so I think we really also need to raise awareness about that. And you brought so. up the tech schools too. And, um, 
when I was in grad school, I had a really, I originally went for agricultural education and, uh, I had a really cool, um, experience up there because they had a program, um, at the local tech school where they actually took the, like the best and brightest kids out of those schools and put them into their local tech school for it. I think they took like their math, their, their math class and their English class at their local high school. And they all drove to the, the local tech school for the rest of the day. And it was all heavy science based, um, courses where they were actually going a lot of times to college classes, Mm -hmm. uh, to learn a lot of this stuff. And I think it was specializing like veterinary medicine, food science, and horticulture. And they were they were interacting with college professors, and they had a, a teacher who really guided them through a lot of this yeah. stuff too. But I think it was a class of like fifteen or sixteen kids. Four or five of them were valedictorians of their schools. It was like the best and brightest, and they were going to Ivy League schools all over the country. If and if not Ivy League, they were going to like these really great institutions. And but they got that opportunity in high school going to a tech school which that's not what people think when they think of tech schools exactly it kind of sounds like a a situation that would have been it's a bad stigmatism but tech schools Mm -hmm. have changed from the time i was in school to where they are now also Mm -hmm. but i look you know i i know when i was in high school my predetermined notions of what a tech school was Mm -hmm. and i look back at at my former classmates that went to tech school and where they are now it's like man they were and they were they were so much smarter <laughs> than I was. You know, they make good decisions in life, and 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 they're doing very well. And, yeah. and I'm happy for it. My my wife's a, a high school English teacher, so we have these conversations all the time because she's and her brother's a perfect example because he's makes a lot more money than either of us do. <laughs> and he's he's like 26 years old. He's working in construction. But he's a diesel mechanic. He knows all kinds of stuff. He got hooked up with the right company. And he's happy. And he he didn't need to learn, or he didn't need to read Shakespeare and all that kind of stuff. He needed to learn how to read instruction manuals and that kind of thing that you'd get at a tech school. Yeah. And um, and she's always says, like, references him saying, man, he could have, think of where he could have been had he taken that route instead of having to sit through his regular public high school and yeah. and be a really bad student and get told he was a bad student. Uh, all the time but he's excelling yeah and like there's a lot of horticultural people that are that way as well that are kind of getting left behind in their local high schools um because they don't have the programs or they just don't know that the options are out there to do these kind of things i don't know and and it's great that there's the option that if you want to go to college that you have that option if you want to go to tech school that you have that option and what we really need to do is just make sure that us as the people in these professions now are banding together to mm-hmm. make to raise awareness about these professions that there are jobs here that you can make a living yeah. and be happy doing this and you know i don't i envision this army of people going into schools and and talking about yeah. this well, you know I, I i had a weird I, I can't remember if i ever mentioned this on the podcast before but in junior high when you take the test of what professions you should look at as you get older I think it was ninth grade we took the test and mine came out that I should be a botanist and I <laughs> laughed I I laughed <laughs> and I was like yeah right like I was like look at this test is so flawed I'm like it says I should be a botanist I remember talking with the guidance counselor and they tried to you know I was a, a gifted honor student they're like well this is where your tendencies lie maybe you should look at it and I remember just laughing 
and here I am, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think back at that moment a lot, actually. And I'm like, come on, is this coincidental <laughs> or, or what? But, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, I, I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. And education really is such a large aspect of, of what we do and who we are. What are, what are some of the educational aspects, uh, programs that you have at the Arboretum? So we do um, a, uh, a speaker series. So that is once a month we get speakers. So this is where Tom participated a couple of years Tom, ago. Tom was a speaker. And, wow. Yes. So Tom, what did we, you, Tom, what did you talk about? Oh, it was, uh, I think it was native plants and pollinators. And I just, yep. I went out to our seed fields where we have millions of flowers and I just took a bunch of pictures of all different plants and pollinators and threw them up on the screen. And I'm not, an entomologist by any means so i was like oh, this is some kind of bee <laughs> but no it was it was actually i was really happy with the crowd's response because uh even a couple of them said hey you should have asked us questions if you didn't know something if you put a question mark you should have asked us and i meant to do that and i forgot <laughs> but um but no it was a very knowledgeable crowd as well of people who wanted to learn and, and were really interested in this stuff already and what what are some of the other uh topics or or intricacies about the speaker series oh well uh so we have three areas of focus at the arboretum we try to focus on um the healing power of plants and nature and gardening Mm -hmm. we try to focus on the history of women in horticulture and the contributions of women to and horticulture and sustainability so we try to have our speakers tie in with those topics and um but but we run the gamut i think we had one um, last fall, I did one on winter interest, you know, plants for winter interest. And we had one about jo- Josephine, Napoleon's wife oh, okay. and, and her contribution to roses and, and the horticulture of roses and mm. the introduction of new roses, which I had no idea. About. <laughs> so of course that's a woman's contribution to horticulture. So, um, so they do really, we, it's a different, we've done landscape lighting, uh, sustainable landscape lighting options. So it really runs the whole gamut and there's not the same audience twice. And, um, you know, during this COVID time, we've really had to think about how can we offer these differently. Um, and also I, I think it's great because now we're let, now I'm thinking, how come we haven't always offered an alternative way of participating in this? You know, how come we haven't always made it so you can zoom in some way or, you know, so everybody who wants yeah. to can participate. It's, it's interesting. You said that because like we've talked about our community here before and it's a very small um pretty tight knit community mm-hmm. and um our our local pastor comes and checks in on us every once in a while especially when my parents miss church that's when he tends to show up oh. <laughs> that is true <laughs> but, that is very true but um so he actually stopped by today and he was saying because they weren't allowed to congregate for a long time and um they were doing a lot they're still holding services but doing it over i guess facebook video and he was saying the metrics, they're having five people, like 500 people show up, but the church is only big enough for like 130. <laughs> so so he's like, we were having way more people watch just having it online. So they're also looking at making that a permanent fixture, just always having it broadcast because not everyone, they don't know when they're going to be able to have a full church again. What, but, I, what I love about it too is Neil is such a great speaker. He yes, really uh, is. But unless you physically go to that church, you're not going to – be presented with that you're not Mm -hmm. going to experience have that experience i love that they found a way to get 
how great of a pastor he is in front mm-hmm. of other people. And I don't attend that church. I'm just saying, like, from knowing Neil, yeah, like yeah. he's he's a a great pastor, and I love that they found a way to get him in front of people and and make that congregation yeah. bigger. Yeah. It, it's it's nice, and you have that opportunity as well with the arboretum. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, I think if there's a if there's a, a a little bit of a silver lining, it's this um, having to problem solve and think outside of the box of what we used to do and, and realizing that this doesn't have to be temporary, that this can be a new way of being more inclusive and mm-hmm. accessible. And so that's been really exciting to think about. It, it's funny because we just had a zoom meeting before <laughs> this on what were the, you know, what are the silver linings that have been presented because of COVID-19 and yeah. how has your business changed? And, and one of the, yeah, the what, big mantra is, you're not going back to work. You're going forward to work. Take what we've learned and what really worked from these changes you have, we're forced to make and and move forward with them and find the things that really weren't working before and definitely didn't work with this and just toss them, get, them, get yeah. rid of them. All, all the so, great yeah. opportunity. I think one of the lines was, what got you here isn't going to work anymore. Yeah. So right. forget them and how are you going to move forward? Yeah, you yeah know, absolutely. It's, it's, it's very true. So, you know, that brings up a great point is how has uh, COVID-19 affected the Arboretum? You're presently not open, that's correct? Mm-hmm. That is correct, yeah. We um, we closed March 12th and um, with three hours notice and you know had to leave and then uh, we're expecting, I'm still working from home um, most of the week. And um, so we've been closed, but we have no gates okay. and we have no, we have no way to keep people out. So people who haven't visited us before are finding us now because mm-hmm. we're close by and they can't really go to many places or they couldn't. And so they've, they've, um, they've wandered in. And so we're technically not open, but we technically can't be completely closed either. <laughs> so, so, you know, we're not functioning in the way that we would normally and we'll be open back up on August 24th. And that's when the students come back and oh, we're okay. just open as a campus again. So we, we will be back open then. And so it's really, um, we've had, we had to cancel, um, programs until we kind of refigured what we were going to do. Uh, the staff was out for, um, a month and a half in spring. So that, presented a challenge but luckily it was such a mild winter they were able to get a lot of sort of the basic work done of mulching and that kind of thing so the spring wasn't as bad as it could have been um so that so that was nice but um and then we we don't have an admission fee or raise funds that way so our fundraising is dependent on and we raise funds all of our student workers are paid through funds that we raise all of the plant material the tools anything that we need to really to operate the garden besides salaries of the staff are through donations through fundraising oh, okay. and so the the connections that we make through these programs are how we get people to buy in and support us beyond just attending a program and so losing those connections over this period of time and that opportunity to make more connections has has really been challenging and so trying to figure out how we keep the connections we have made even when you can't come and visit and participate and then how to continue to make new ones that's been i think the biggest challenge for us also you know public garden isn't a public garden without its public so (laughs) so, that's very true being motivated to keep everything looking beautiful when people can't come and visit it is is um a struggle but 
but we see the light now and we know that we'll have our public back and our students back in a couple of weeks. So we're really excited about that. Well, knowing that you have a date when you're opening back up, do you have any events that uh, you're excited about in the near future? Um, well, our, we do, we have our annual garden party, okay. which is our one big fundraiser for the year. And it's always this, well, it's usually the second Saturday in September. And, um, it's our biggest fundraiser of the year and it kind of supports the rest of the year's activities. And, uh, this year we're not sure how it's going to look because even though we're in a different County, we have to follow Philadelphia guidelines cause that's where temple is. And they're a little more strict, um, or cautious with what's going on. And so, um, trying to figure out how that's going to look where normally there would be 125, 150 people in our formal garden area. So, so we're offering a virtual, um, option. We're doing a zoom. It's called Ambler and bloom our event. And, and we're, so we're offering a zoom bloom and, um, bloom boxes full of all kinds of local goodies because our businesses that used to support us, they were out of business. They were not in operation for months and so to ask them for donations for silent auctions and things like that didn't seem very much like a community and so we're trying to support them by including items from them in our boxes to give to our uh, funders and our participants and so we're really looking forward to seeing how this works it's the 20th the Arboretum has been officially an Arboretum for 20 years this Mm -hmm. year so it's our 20th birthday it's a big year it's a big year and I said next year we'll celebrate our 21st birthday with a whole bunch of um, local breweries and food trucks. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this will be passed by then. I like where your head's at. We'll do a podcast on the remote. Well, we'll, we'll, I don't oh. even know what you call it. We'll podcast. You are. That. Yes, that sounds great. Yes, let's let's put it in the books. All right. I like that. I, I like that. All right. I'm in. So you, you mentioned how important donations are. Mm-hmm. How can our listeners get involved? How can they help or make a donation? And what are some ways that they can do that? Sure. So um, there's all kinds of ways to get involved with the Arboretum. Of course, one is donations. Just making a donation and supporting the Arboretum and our mission is great. Um, we can always use volunteers to help out in the gardens, but also volunteers to to help guide our organization. I'm always looking for members of our Arboretum Advisory Committee. We... Um, speakers if you wanted to be a presenter have something that you'd like to talk about we're always looking for presenters um and um members if you wanted to become a member or just attend programs all of that supports us all of that builds our network all of this all of that helps spread our our message and um, just raise awareness about the arboretum even existing so so there's lots of ways awesome Awesome. So we, we always end and we've asked you if you've listened to the podcast and you have, so Mm -hmm. you know what question we're going to ask you. Mm -hmm. At least I hope you do. We we always end on this one. Not everyone answers it. Some people will not commit. I think some (laughs) of our guests have commitment issues. Yeah. (laughs) What is your favorite native plant? All right. So I'm sure a lot of people have said it's hard to pick just one. It is. Right. And we'll give you more than one. Okay. We'll let you know. So I was. Down. So I think my favorite underused plant is bladder nut. Staphylia triphylla. <laughs> so this was a new plant that I learned when I moved to this area where I live now. Okay. And I just love it, and I think that, and the deer don't eat it, which is a plus, I think. And um, they, 
I just feel like it's underused and I'm not sure why it has these great little white flowers in the spring. There's really ornamental pods. I think it needs a new marketing person because bladder yeah. nut, I don't think is that appealing. That is a, um, I just looked it up. That's a really unique looking flower and then seed pod. I have yeah. never seen that on a plant list for a project. Me no, me either. I've never seen it, and it's even hard to find for sale, even yeah. among specialty native plant places. All right. So we have a I, new, we have a new mission. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yes. I just I just love it, and so that's my favorite underused one. And right. then the fa- my other favorite I have to mention because I I get out. There's two that are generally considered weedy or annoying, and people usually eliminate from their yards. And I carry around a soapbox with me for these two natives, right. and they are the um, just the common blue violet and the black walnut. Very nice. Very. So nice. those are my other two favorites. <laughs> my, my my first experience with a black walnut tree, I was probably about twenty. I want to say I was about twenty two, twenty three years old, and proceeded to have a fight with the <laughs> the pods not realizing that they stained that the tannins oh. <laughs> so after pelting and being pelted with them then realizing that my clothes were ruined and i could not clean my hands yes and i will never forget that that's an important one but so i i grew up in the pine barrens in south jersey and uh so that smell of those walnuts um just takes me back to growing up in the Pine Barrens all the time. And, and I have to admit that my sister and I used to wing them at each other too. <laughs> they, they smart. They, they, they pack a good punch. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they do. And I, 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 I have to say that that fight happened at a job. That's what we're, <laughs> we're doing at work. So I haven't done that here. You don't see me doing that. No, we don't have no. them here. That's I've I've grown up since then. <laughs> All right, so it, it's it's down to the final thought. So we always give our guests uh, the first crack at a final thought. We give you the stage, and you can say anything you want. If there's something you want to promote, if there's a message you want to get out, just uh, if, uh, something you want to summarize. Now's the time. The floor is yours, and you can say anything you want. Well, thank you. Well, I just want to encourage everybody to get out and visit public gardens. And for those of you who have clients to use public gardens as an educational space for teaching your clients what plants will look like, how plants look together, how they mature. And I want to acknowledge that the public gardens would not be the amazing places they are without the staff that cares for them. And we have at the Arboretum, um, Kat and Michelle, who are our horticulture staff and just do a tremendous job through all of this and um, are so knowledgeable and creative. And so without without them, this place and um, without the horticulture staff in so many places, these they just wouldn't uh, be as special and as important and as educational as they are. So, um, so we are part of greater philadelphia gardens which is a um, group that represents 36 gardens within 30 miles of philadelphia and so we're just one of many that each have a unique story to tell a unique collection of plants and um, something different to do so i encourage everybody to get out and, and visit the public garden spaces i i think with with COVID 19 a lot of people have found or rediscovered nature um, mm-hmm. which is nice to see. So put this one on your list and make sure you go see it. You know, I, I have to admit, I have never been there and it is on my list. We will. I we can't will wait to it. give you a tour. Oh, oh, oh all right. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me hooked. Now I have to, 
now I have to yeah. come. But I'm going anyway. That's yeah. That's my oh, plan. Yeah. That's my plan. All right. Yeah, definitely, definitely come and visit. I can't wait there. to see you. I will be there. I can't wait to go. Um, Tom, do you want me to go or do you want to go? Uh, I can go. All right. We'll, we can keep <laughs> switching back and forth. I have a final thought yeah. this time. You're not going to cop out I'm, on this one. Eh, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we kind of, I don't want to say we went off the rails. It was a really, really good conversation, but we definitely went a lot of places I don't think we were planning on going when we, when we started coming up with ideas of where we were going to take this podcast. But one of the things we really hit on a lot was inclusivity. And uh, whether that you're a person of color or kids or just people who don't know about the value of of native plants, you have to be inclusive. You have to find ways that appeal to them to get them to to join this mission. We all know, if you're listening to this, you know how important native plants are and how detrimental invasive plants can be. And we're not close enough there. We don't have enough people on our side yet to to say hey we don't want you in our club we need to to keep growing together and making this a, a bigger thing before we can start saying hey you know what we like what you're saying but it's not cold it's not enough you need to come further so i like it i like it yeah. you're kind of i for a second i thought you were going to steal my final thought <laughs> like i was thinking in my head i'm like he's going where i was gonna go <laughs> that's uh, why i went first I was... <laughs> Well, it, it, it's somewhere on the same lines where I feel that this podcast, for the first time out of any of our podcasts, we tackled some pretty heavy subjects, mm -hmm. which we typically don't do. Not that we steer away from them on purpose. I don't think we do. You know, we, we try to always give our guests uh, the best foot forward, and, and you want to be a giving as a host. And, and But we, we, we talked about some things we never talk about, mm -hmm. and I think we need to do it more often. Yeah. Um, it's I, I I think if you're not talking about them, it you're you're part of the problem, mm -hmm. and it's we need to to do this more. Um, and I hope our listeners like it. I I hope yeah. I hope mm -hmm. that's a direction they would like us to go. Also, I have a trouble doing it. I do. I'm, I get very mm -hmm. uncomfortable. But that's where I think some of the good the good stuff comes when yeah. you're uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. Although I agree. I'm, I'm really good at making a fool out of myself when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> that's that's the normal outcome when I'm uncomfortable. It's 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 usually not good. But I I, I think I behaved this time, and we we had some really good conversations. Mm -hmm. And I have to thank you for that, Kathy. Yeah. Thank you oh, so yeah. much. You that was... you definitely led us into a lot of that and sparked a lot well, of I things think... that were on my brain. <laughs> I've, I well, thank you for being about. open to that. I think that um, so many of us can think very easily of a garden as a place of peace and calm and healing. Um, but they're more than that. They're more complicated, just like everything else. And so we have to acknowledge those parts of them too. So I'm, thank you for being open to the conversation. No, <laughs> appreciate and, it. No, and we, we, we'll definitely have to have you back on as we tackle some more of these issues in mm -hmm. the future. Uh, and we can, uh, maybe we can make this an ongoing segment or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. But we, you know, we do plan on, you know, in the future, our our next podcast actually can, can I leak who it is since it's yeah. next. Oh one? yeah, okay. I was going to do it. I <laughs> oh, was going to do it anyway. Sorry. <laughs> so our next podcast actually we have uh, Dr. Enrique Sala, uh, National Geographers Explorer in Residence. Um, did I say that? Did I just say National Geographic? Curve? Yeah, you yeah. kind of said it wrong. Yeah, National Geographic. Yeah, about. they knew. <laughs> so um, about his new book, The Nature of Nature. Um, and it's a discussion, really heady discussion, that there's things that you can't just ignore or gloss over. 
that are going on in our world that need to be fixed. Um, and I, I like that we're heading in that direction. Mm-hmm. It can't all be controversial. I like, you know, yeah. we, we, I'd like to have fun too. Yeah. It can't all be like, I, I don't want it to be too heavy all the time. I don't know that that's fun to listen mm-hmm. to either, but I think we have to make it part of our, Oh yeah. yeah, it's it's the space that we're in right now. So it's it's important that we don't ignore that. Sorry, I didn't mean to steal. Oh no, no, you're fine. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was just gonna say how we have a giveaway affiliated. We're giving away his book, which hasn't been released yet. Two copies. Two copies, and you'll at the end of that episode, you'll hear how you can do it. How you can win one of the yeah. copies, and I will say we were fortunate enough to get an advanced uh, advances of the book. It's it's a book that everyone has to read. Yeah. It's, it's one of yeah. the most important books being published right now mm-hmm. that that if you know someone and you're trying to explain to them why it's important to make a difference or make a change, mm-hmm. this is – you know, it's right up there with, with Dr. Talamese mm-hmm. uh, bringing nature yeah. home. Yeah, uh, I, th- I think it's, it's probably even on a – not basic isn't the right word. It, it reaches a broader base because it, it's – well, it's really on a global scale. It uh, it's talking about things on a global scale, not just on a, a smaller or nationwide scale. But it's also it really gives some really good examples of things that are actually happening in the world that are issues and solutions. So you know the the thing is there are solutions. There's a lot of science, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of solutions, um, and it, it's kind of hard to refute. Yeah. Uh, these solutions yes it, it really yeah. is he, he makes a very strong case there's yeah. a lot of great cases throughout the globe so it's it doesn't you know we tend to focus on land or our streams but we don't tend to take it one step further to the oceans yeah. and how what we do affect other nations and what they do affect us and yeah it's just on a global scale and it breaks it down really he guides you through step by step if, mm-hmm. if you've never uh been involved in ecology or horticulture it's it's a good yeah. way to and we've had this one in our pocket for a while now we had to keep it keep it secret so we're we're really happy we get to tell people about it yeah we're excited that we it's even coming got out. contacted by a publicist <laughs> Woo! we hit the big time we hit the big time <laughs> but but yeah that's really it for today it's always nice to to feature so many of the organizations that really need people to get involved in in different ways um it's even nicer to have them on when there's someone that you're friends with and and you can reconnect with like i don't think i've talked to spoken to you in in a while other than a couple emails trying to coordinate this so it was nice to to actually talk to you i agree virtually again and uh yes the same thank you so much so but we want to thank everyone for joining us today we hope you enjoy learning about the temple university ambler arboretum with kathy salisbury make sure you visit when they reopen that was august 24th right yes that's right thank you so it'll end the summer Make sure you go visit, and uh, and you can check out all their info at arboretum.temple.edu. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet, presented by Pounds Nursery. I'd like to give a big shout-out to Stephen Marr for contributing our theme music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery as well. And let's not forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. I would love... Uh, for our listeners to weigh in on this one, especially yeah. with some of the oh, yeah. topics. And uh, the other places they might want us to go. Yeah, so. that would be great. To, you know, maybe we can make that a topic. Uh, what's your favorite arboretum or public mm-hmm. garden to yeah. go to uh, that you visit? I, I like that idea. Yeah, I like that yeah. idea. So let's keep the conversation going there.
Yeah, you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out here uh, on Podbean, Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review while you're there. Not not going to give too much away here, but maybe that's how you win a book. It might be. Or, could be, could be My, how you maybe. could get a free book in the next couple of weeks. Um, you can also listen to us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or hey Alexa, play the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. You know, I just found out that that your your grandmother has been listening to the podcast. I didn't even know that by saying to Alexa, "Play the Native Plants Healthy wow. Planet podcast." She took your advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thanks, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Kathy, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today and talking with us. I truly love our conversation yeah. today. Me too. Thank you very much. Uh, no problem. Anytime. And thanks again, everyone. We will see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.